this morning, we're diving into a brand new series called Work Ology. The Silicon Valley is an incredibly unique place. It, I mean, if you go outside, and many of you do, if you just travel just to Santa Cruz or anywhere else, you realize that what happens here and the way we go about life is incredibly unique. This is a fast pace, high pressure, with uh, the expectation of non-stop performance valley. And as a result, I think it's incredibly important that we take some time and talk about this idea of workology. Now, here's how I'm defining workology. Yes, we made up a word again. Seems to be the way we roll marriaging. And if you don't know, we've been teaching through the book of Ephesians, and we'll actually get to that section next week um, uh, in regards to work. But workology is the study of work and how to make it work for you. It's the study of work. We work a lot. But have you studied work? Have you given thought to work? Or do you just go about your work? And how do you make it work for you? There's an old story about a man who came across three bricklayers. You're probably familiar with it. He goes up to them and asks, what are you doing? First bricklayer responds, a little annoyed, laying bricks. Dummy, you know. Dummy's my version of the story. Second bricklayer looks at him and looks at what he's doing and says, I'm I'm building a wall. The third bricklayer looks at him and then kind of looks up at the sky. And then back at him, it says, I'm building a cathedral. It's been said that the first bricklayer had a job. The second bricklayer had a career. The third bricklayer had a calling, a purpose bigger than himself. Though all three were doing the exact same work, they had three different answers. In fact, uh, a word we don't use as much anymore is the word vocation. It comes from the Latin to, for the word, for the Latin, calling, literally to be called to something. What does it look like for us to live into our calling? Perhaps to have more than a job, possibly even bigger than a career, but to live out a life, a work life that would live in to your calling. At the core of that question is this. What is it all for? I mean, you wake up, you go to work, you come back, and then you repeat. And you repeat. And you repeat. And it just keeps going on and on. And eventually, if you're not brand new into your work, if you've had a few years, and if you're counting down to retirement, you're wondering, what is it all for? What is the point of all this work? And at the outset, this sounds like a fairly simplistic question. 
However, I've found that it's rather complicated. And here's the reason I think it's a rather complicated uh, way to answer it is because whatever hat we're wearing informs how we answer that question. Whatever hat we're wearing at the time informs how we're going to answer the question, what is it all for? So when I wear my parent hat, I'm a dad. There we go. All right, I'm a dad, right? When I answer the question, what is it all for? How do I live into my calling? It's to provide a better future for my kids, right? Like, isn't that what it's all for? That somehow I'll help them, like, do what I could not. But then I put on my spouse hat. Because I'm married. And I'm thinking about my wife. And I answer the question, well, what is it all for? Well, how can I create an environment where my spouse thrives? Like to bring out her very best. Like, like perhaps what it's all for when I work is, is just so that she can thrive and become who she's made to be. And then I have another hat. What is it all for? Well, in my world, I get to be the boss. Which isn't as fun as it's cracked up to be, I found out. Okay. <laughs> And perhaps some of you are the boss, and you begin to wear the hat as the boss. And you begin to ask this question, well, what is it all for? And you answer it somewhere along the line, well, how can I, you know, really help this organization thrive? There's some bosses that I know, and maybe it's not your boss, but I know some pretty great bosses that when they answer, what is it all for? How can I help the quality of my employee's life? How can I add meaning to their life? And then maybe for some, you are an employee. And you're like, what is it all for? I don't know. I'm just doing my thing. No, that's not how I was answered, right? You answer it. What is it all for? And it's, hey, how can I add value to the organization? How can I be a great coworker? How can I make the lives of those in my workplace better? And then you have another hat. And some of you are a hat of a student. And you ask, what is it all for? And you have no clue, let's be honest. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, no, but you're like, I, I think it's all for somehow to set up for a better future. I want a better future. But perhaps you're wearing the hat as a friend and you're going, what is it all for and working? Well, I want to work in such a way that I can be present for, with those who are most dear and close so that I can have the margin in my life to be present with my friends. And then I'll give you one final hat. You were wondering how long this was going to go, by the way. I know you were. What is it all for? Oh, good Lord, this one's tighter. That was the same size. Unbelievable. <laughs> My head grew throughout this time. That is crazy. And you ask, what is it all for? And all of a sudden, you have to put you in the equation. And you think about you, your desires, your wants, your needs. And every one of us would answer that question a little bit differently, wouldn't we? I'll give you mine if I had to answer it in my just kind of you-ness state. Mine would be, what is it all for? It's to have fun. To go on adventures. You see, this question is incredibly complicated depending on the hat that we're wearing. What is it all for? Is it to get ahead? Is it to own a home? Is it to be the best? Is it to have what I want when I want it? Is it to provide for your family? I don't know if it's, I feel like stuff's going everywhere. Okay. <laughs> is it to be financially secure? Is it to make an impact? Is it to change the world? Is it to leave a legacy? What is the point of all of this 
work. And we have lots and lots of good answers, but perhaps not a great answer. And as a result, we tend to buy into some myths about work depending on the hats that we're wearing. Depending on the hats that we wear, we tend to buy into a few myths about work. One of the myths that we buy into about work is that work is this necessary evil. Especially if you're wearing the hat of a parent, maybe the hat of a spouse, specifically the you hat for sure, that it's this necessary evil, that you just have to do it to get by. And so here's what work is. You work to live, right? You work, but not to like that you enjoy what you do. Maybe you do, but predominantly just to live so that you can go live your life the way you want to live your life. Live for the weekend. The goal is to retire young so that you can truly enjoy life. Another myth, not just work is a necessary evil. On the flip side of that, we tend to buy into this, that work is everything. Specifically, if you often wear the boss hat, maybe the employee hat. Sometimes even when you're wearing the family hat, you can think work is everything because you have this altruistic idea that I'm setting up a better future for my kids, so I'm going to sacrifice now because it's everything to set up a better future for them. And so you don't work to live, you live to work. Instead of, you know, living for the weekend, you work on the weekend to get ahead. And the goal is to help that organization succeed and thrive. Another myth we buy into, and this is especially prevalent, prevalent, there we go, there's the proper pronunciation, prevalent in the Christian community, in the church, is this, that there is this dichotomy. There is sacred work. And there is secular work. That somehow, and this kind of feeds into the work uh, is a necessary evil, that somehow there is work that is sacred and spiritual, and there is work that is secular, and I have to kind of do the secular work because that's how I make my living, but I can never really lean in or live into my calling because I'm not doing what Ryan does. He's a pastor. He's doing spiritual work. His work has way more meaning than my work. Wrong. You know, I'm not doing what some missionary does. You know, they're going out onto the front lines. My work doesn't have near as much meaning or value. It can't carry the same spiritual weight. And I'd suggest to you, I'd argue with you, I would declare to you based on the Bible. You're dead wrong. See, to live into your calling and to rightly answer this question, what is it all for? I believe we must totally rethink the way we view work and our attitude towards work. And so this morning, what I want to do is is lay out a framework for us. I want to give you a theology of work. Next week, we're going to dive into some of the practical side of this. This is going to give you the overarching theology of what God says about work. And by the way, God says a lot about it. The Bible has a ton to say about work and how to make it work for you. If you got your notes, if you would open them up, a theology of work begins with the understanding, first and foremost, that God works. I don't know if you've ever had that thought, but God works. 
God is at work. In fact, the way the Bible began, this is so cool. The way the Bible began starts off this way. I don't know why I'm looking it up, just to show you that I can look it up. I can quote it to you. It says this, in the beginning. So at the very beginning, and now I just want to make one point, and this is like a side um, it's not one of the main points, but this is such a big deal. It says, in the beginning, what? Help me out. It should be behind me. God. Okay, thank you. I was just making sure you're with me this morning. That's good. That's good. In the beginning, God. Now think about this. The main character in the biblical narrative, the main character of history is God. See, life only makes sense when we allow God to be the main character and we are the supporting cast. One of the biggest problems when we come to the area of work is we want to be the main character instead of the supporting cast. In the beginning, God. It's all about him. It's all for him. It's all because of him. Back to the main point. In the beginning, God did what? Created. Now, this is really fascinating. Because if you study some of the ancient creation literature that other cultures all wrote about, how did our origins begin? What you'll find is they had this in common. They had that there was this pre-war among the gods, and one was victorious and one was not, and our creation came out of conflict. The Bible begins in a very different way. The Bible begins not out of conflict. The Bible begins out of craftsmanship with a God who is crafting and working and creating and that God works. So God is not, the work is not beneath God. So at the beginning, we see a theology of work begins with God, that he works. And so as a result, it is good to work. He is still working, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works. Isn't that good to know That in all things, God works. And I know sometimes the cheesy Christian answer, and I know it's not always the appropriate answer, but God works. But it is true. God works. And I don't know what you're going through, but God works. Lean into God because God works. And God is working. How? For the good of those who love him. To bring about the very best within a a scope of eternity of all of history so that all of our history is bringing to a point and where he's going to work all things together for the good of those who love him and it will have the final stamp at the second coming of Jesus. God works is the beginning and the starting point of a theology of work. So there is no, work is not beneath God. It is good to work. And as a result, work was a part of paradise. Work was a part of the Garden of Eden. In fact, God created humanity to be co-workers with him. Back to Genesis, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so you were created in the reflection of God. And so you were created... To reflect God. You find your greatest enjoyment, your deepest satisfaction when you most closely reflect your creator. And you have a creating God. And so when we create and join him in his work, you find deep satisfaction. 
goes on. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Translation, get busy with it. Fill the earth and subdue it. One commentator writes this. This word subdue indicates that though all God had made was good, it was still to a great degree undeveloped. God left creation with deep, untapped potential for cultivation that people were to unlock through their labor. See, God created mankind, humanity, to be co-laborers, co-workers with him. In fact, the New Testament affirms this and says that we are God's handiwork. We are God's masterpiece. We are his work of art, specially crafted, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. Like you have a purpose on this planet. You have a good work to lean into. Like God has you in mind and has a plan for you in mind and has work that is so good for you to do. Um, our family loves basketball. My boys, on a daily basis, are playing each other one-on-one in the backyard, and it gets intense, much the way I grew up playing with my brothers and dad. About a year ago, we got a brand new basketball hoop because our first basketball hoop, we wore out so much. I've never seen this happen, but we made a hole in the backboard. <laughs> now, um, we got this new basketball hoop, and because at one point I was a youth pastor as well, I've put together a lot of basketball hoops. They're terrible. I don't know who the engineer is, and if you are an engineer designing the instructions and how to build basketball hoops, I apologize, but that's terrible. It is actually torturous to put together a basketball hoop. They put all the parts in there, not labeled, in different places, and you, you have to take hours just to organize everything. And yet, here's what I wanted, because this is our family thing. And I wanted to build this basketball hoop with my kids. Now, trust me, I could build it faster without them. And uh, my patience wouldn't be tested near as much. Every time I see that basketball hoop, I'm reminded of the moments that we sat in the driveway. And as Ella organized all of our, you know, inventory and all the bolts and nuts. And as Miles, you know, he's taking a wrench to something and hitting things that really didn't need to be hit. But that's okay. You know, and Ryder's holding up the pole. And, uh, and we're working through this together. And it's this moment... Why? Could I have done it on my own? Absolutely. But there's something so precious in bringing my kids into what I'm doing that I wanted to share it with them. And you have a God that says, I want to bring you into what I'm doing. You have a God that says, hey, I have some good work, and can I do it on my own? Yeah, I'm God. Hello. I can do it on my own, but I long to bring my kids into what I'm doing, to be co-laborers with me, to be a part of the process, and to share with me what's going on in this planet. God has made you and created you to be a co-laborer with him. And in that process, he set boundaries for work, for our own good. 
It goes on in Genesis to say this, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all his work of creating that he had done. And what we call, and what the Jewish people called, and what we call as Christians, the Sabbath was instituted. That six days you work, and on the seventh day you rest. There's many things that set apart the Jewish nation from the surrounding nations. Sabbath was one of them. There was no other nation that rested habitually, that stopped consistently, that had a confidence that their God could supply and their God could work even when they did not work. And they kept the day holy. That means set apart. And they stopped and said, there's boundaries. See, work is so good for you. The tendency is work can become a God to you. And so I'm going to set some boundaries to remind you that I'm God. To remind you that you're human. That you need space to... (sighs) Now, what I find interesting is for some of us in our culture, it's fairly hedonistic, is that we would want to Sabbath for six days and work for one day. (laughs) And that's actually not... God's design either. In three weeks, we're going to talk about how do you experience this work-life balance in the Silicon Valley. Steve's going to teach that week. It's going to be phenomenal. It's a must-be-here week because this is an area that we need to learn in how to set healthy boundaries in a world that is fast-paced, high-pressure, with the expectation of nonstop performance? How do you actually practice the Sabbath and set a healthy boundary in your life? And here's part of the problem. Here's why this is such a hard problem for us today. It goes back to the theology of work, that after the fall, work became difficult. Work became painful. See, God works, work is good. God created humanity to be co-workers with him and then set these boundaries for our good. But then sin entered the equation and disturbed every single relationship we have. Not only disturbed, it broke every relationship. It polluted every relationship. It polluted our relationship and broke our relationship with God. It polluted our relationship with others. It polluted our own relationship with ourselves. And it Included our relationship with work. Instead of being a co-laborer with God, we tend to make ourselves the object and the subject. Notice, cursed is the ground because of you. That like when sin entered the world, it cursed the ground. It fundamentally flawed our world. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. And we experience heartache, and we experience pain, and we experience struggle. Not that you don't have hard work that is pleasing, and we've all had those moments, right, where we're working, and you you feel like time eclipses. 
And it was a joy and it was a delight. It wasn't that it is not hard, but there was something about an ease that came to it, a delight. And after the fall, now you have a terrible boss. After the fall, you have an EGR in your workplace. That's an extra grace required person, by the way. <laughs> after the fall, it takes effort. And we, we got to be careful because I think sometimes we buy into the lie that if I'm in the middle of God's will, everything will go easy. Read the New Testament. Nothing could be further from the truth. The best place in the planet is to be in the middle of God's will. It is not the easiest place. Notice what the Apostle Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace was to me, uh, was not without effect. No, I worked what? Help me out. Harder, faster, stronger, better. I'm sorry. (laughs) Kanye. (laughs) Kanye. No, I worked harder than them all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. After the fall, it became incredibly difficult, but don't miss this. This is such a big deal. Okay, God works. Got that. God called humanity to be co-workers with him, that we're to co-labor with him. Well, what does that look like? Well, he set boundaries for us, and we understand that, okay, it's, it's harder now. How do we co-labor with him? Well, all honest work is sacred work. There is no dichotomy between spiritual and unspiritual, sacred and secular. That all honest work is the opportunity to join God in what he is doing on this planet to bring about the restoration of relationship with God, to bring beauty from ashes, be a part of creating culture that honors him. The Apostle Paul says it this way. Whatever you do, like in that freeing, by the way, when we're wrestling with calling, because sometimes you're wrestling with calling, and I, I get to talk with a lot of college students, and it's like, I just want to know what to do. And I love how Paul starts this off, because this is brilliant, by the way. Whatever you do. Okay, well, come on, come on. Well, what do I do? Whatever. <laughs> like You're answering me like a teenager at this point. Thank you very much. No, no, no. What do I do? Whatever you do. Interesting that the focus isn't on what you do. Isn't it interesting that it's not this narrow path that if you somehow step off this path of calling that, boom, you missed it. Some of you are paralyzed. Somehow wanting to be in the middle of God's calling and you're not doing anything because you don't want to miss it. And it's whatever you do. See, it's not what, it's how. Whatever you do, how? Do it with all your heart. Do it wholeheartedly. Like put the full weight of who you are into what you do. But, but we got to have a, a who involved here. Not, listen to this. As working for the Lord, not for men. Whatever you do, you're calling. 
Your calling is whatever you do. When you lean into it with all of your heart for Jesus. See, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. By the way, Christians should set the standard for excellence in the workplace and not give a cop-out to other Christians when they're working for other Christians. Oh, you're a brother, and then I do shoddy work. That's bull. Christians should set the standard for excellence in the workplace. Why? Because excellence honors God and inspires others and points them to a God. Why do you do this? Because I'm not working for that boss. I know he's a jerk. I'm not working for this company. I'm working for my Savior, Jesus, and that is what matters. To answer the question, what is it all for? You have to clarify whom you're working for. Whom are you working for? So when you ask that question, you have to clarify with crystal clarity, what hat are you wearing? Are you working for yourself? Maybe it's the boss, employee hat, or you. Are you working for others? Your parents, your students, wife, friends. See, the incredible news of the gospel is you don't have to change your job to lean into your calling. I'm not saying you, maybe some of you need to change jobs. That's not what I'm saying. You don't have to change your job to lean into your calling. You lean into Jesus, and in the midst of your job, you'll live out your calling. Okay, you know what? I'm, there's been like so many really good parts of this sermon that you're like on the edge of going with me. And, I, and I'm like, oh, okay. I just had to get that out, all right? I just, I was like, oh, man. I was about to say amen by myself. Um, See, the difference between a job, a career, and calling isn't what you do, but whom you do it for. And whatever you do, I don't care what you do. It's not that what you do doesn't matter. It matters deeply, but it's who you do it for and how you do it. Now, you would think it would be interesting, uh, or you'd think that in... Uh, in the pastor world, that this would be easy. That I'd naturally get this, that like, well, you're doing God's work. What's interesting is you can wear different hats, even in the ministry. For many years, and it took me a while to unpack this, I wore the hat of a kid. Really, specifically, a son. See, my dad is a pastor, and he's done okay for himself. And so the hat of going into the ministry wasn't a hat of, okay, it's about Jesus, although that was my heart, but I wore the hat of, I got to perform. I got to somehow measure up. I, I, I mean, this is how bad it was. The early years of ministry, I never wanted my dad to come to the ministry I was leading because it wasn't ready yet. It wasn't big enough yet. I wore the hat of son. 
but really is the hat of somehow trying to live up to expectations. Not that he placed on me, but that I placed on me. Somehow to perform, somehow to be a somebody, somehow to succeed, somehow to live beyond the shadow that was cast. Isn't it interesting that it doesn't matter what job or career you have, your hat always informs how you answer that question. What is it all? I don't think this is going to catch on that we're all going to be wearing hats with Jesus on it. I don't think it should catch on. But I promise you this, this will transform. This will transform your work world. This will transform your day. When you wake up in the morning Go, I'm not putting on the hat of a spouse. I'm not putting on the hat of an employee. I'm not putting on the hat. I'm putting on the hat of Jesus. He loved me. He died for me. He is my life. And so whatever I do today, it's all for him. It's all because of him. And so I'm going to work with all my heart because I have a God who works. And I'm leaning all that I am to Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we come into your presence from acceptance, that we don't have to work for your acceptance, that we stand in a place from belovedness. We don't have to work for belovedness. We come from a place of approval, and we never have to seek your approval. You delight in every single person. And so we get to enjoy being your kid. God, I pray for the person in here who's worn so many hats at this morning. They say, okay. It's Jesus. I'm just going to wake up tomorrow, and it's Jesus. If I have to put on a silly hat in the morning to remind myself and then comb my hair later, I'll do that just to remind myself it's Jesus. It's for you. It's because of you. It's all for your glory. God, you work. And for others in this space that have never stepped foot into a relationship with God, you are invited to put on a hat, not really put on a hat, but allow Jesus to come into your life. He longs to have a relationship with you, longs to give you brand new life. And it's just the cry of belief, Jesus, I need help. I believe you are the son of God. Would you come into my life and make me new? And you can live into your calling today.